Good morning. morning. Today's scripture reading is from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, the first chapter, the 10th to the 17th verse. The reading is also in your bulletin. If you're able, please stand for the reading. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the, Christ, the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. This is the word of the Lord. I want to start again by reading a little more from Scripture, uh, from Acts chapter 9, the conversion of Saul. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus called Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went 
and entered the house, he laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his sight. What a truly a great honor and a pleasure it is for me to be here today to share uh, the saving word and the gospel of Jesus Christ and all of the grace that he bestows on his people. Uh, I have him here with many from my congregation I was not expecting. We have been talking about the amazing work God is doing here at City Church, and they have come to see for themselves. They are really bad Lutherans, really bad Lutherans, because good Lutherans sit in the back pews, <laughs> not in the front pews. And so, um, so they are learning, and that's a good thing. I, uh, I also want to say that um, con congratulations to the recently engaged, where did that couple go? There they are over there, congratulations. I, um, I remember very well uh, my wife Rhonda um, proposing to her in a very, very beautiful restaurant in San Francisco, and after I bungled my way through, she taught me something about marriage in the words that came out of her mouth. She said, Frank, why don't you try that again? <laughs> I'm a believer in forgiveness and second chances. And then, um, just to all of you who are heading to Haiti and uh, to this work uh, that is before you in, the world, in this world, uh, we live in a mission field. We go to mission fields um, for different types of work. But I have a daughter, Rhonda and I have a daughter that is in the Peace Corps. She's coming home in three weeks. We're trying to contain our extreme joy about that because we don't know if she's going to go live near her husband's family or us. And we figure if we get too much zeal into that, uh, we might blow it. So we're, <laughs> we're trying to hold the, a line of excitement about that. But Rhonda asked uh, Christina, what will you most be looking forward to when you come home? And I was thinking she was going to say her mother's meatloaf or, you know, heading, uh, heading to the Tower Cafe or something like that. And she said, I will appreciate running water. And so, I, you know, these things we take for granted because we live here. Um, and so much we take for granted our faith. We're not going to do that today. Uh, I, uh, I bring greetings from all the saints and sinners. Uh, that is St. John's Lutheran Church, not, not just these uh, who are before us. I say saints and sinners because this is a Luther term. We are both the new creation of our baptism, but we know there is a fight still inside of us. So uh, Lutherans are really good at holding, uh, acknowledging that and confessing our sin. Or we, we need to be better at that, but we, but we are saints and sinners. And so if there are a few Lutheran buzzwords that come your way, I'm going to apologize in advance. That's my tradition. Uh, and, um, uh, but, it, but I have found the joy of being um, in, in the Christian traditions come together. We hear things just slightly differently, and it, it, there is impact. So I pray for that impact uh, today. I have one more scripture I would like to read, uh, read for you, um, but um, 
Uh, it is, I, I know it's a lot of scripture, but this is important. This is the gospel. So uh, from the, from the um, third chapter of John, let me just share this. There was a Pharisee. He was named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night. That's going to be important. He said to him, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, how can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. Here ends the gospel. Today we, we give thanks. I'm probably going to need that. Thank you. We give thanks uh, for the many connections and the relationships that are already starting to form between us uh, at St. John's and City Church. Uh, you have many relationships. Um, you're a church that's dedicated uh, to relationships. I see with your relationship with uh, the upper room and, and, um, and, and the ways in which um, you have become very well known in the city in a very short time. That's because relationships and connections are important to you. Personal, family, community, and I'm going to call it Jesus' specialty. I think this is Jesus' specialty. Jesus loves 
to take an established relationship, like the life we think we're destined to live, only to have Jesus transform it so that it becomes something brand spanking new. New as a newborn. The gift of new life that's like a new one, a new child, a new baby. And this is the opportunity in the new relationship Jesus gives us, and he gives us this to us as a free gift. And to receive it, we simply have to open our hands and open our hearts in wonder as Jesus says, here, have it, this is yours. My first example, now I told you I grew up in the Lutheran church, but I'm not necessarily a typical Christian in the Lutheran tradition. My first example of understanding this is a story that I, I'll be interested to know if the St. John's folks have heard me tell this story. It's a story of my conversion, even though I understand God active and saving me from the very moment I was baptized as a child. But I was at a Billy Graham crusade. I was 16 years old. I was living in another country because I was an exchange student. And this was a doozy of an established relationship. I, th I thought I knew how God operated in my family that went to church every Sunday. And all of a sudden into this established life, God initiated in me something completely new. Now I could talk to you about what happened in that Colosseum and the amazing kind of way in which I was sitting up as high as you could get in this arena and I just was saying, keep your rear in that seat, keep your rear in that seat. And the next thing I know, I was moving down to the arena floor. But the thing I remember most about this was the next day after I'd woken up and I thought maybe life would go back to normal, went out for a walk as I did and I went into the woods. Beautiful, it was the country I was in is Sweden. It's a beautiful place, lots of outdoor country. Did this walk along the lake, sat down and as I looked at the lake view, something I had done maybe already 50 times up to that point and sat at ver that very spot, it looked so new. It, it was the same lake. I don't even know how to describe it. It just was different. And I was guessing that I had been gifted with something beyond what I thought had happened the day before. And what really had happened was that God was giving me a new life and it was starting with my eyes. I was seeing differently already. It was not till much, la much, much later, uh, I was probably in a Bible study, I learned about the story of Saul. It is, the story of Saul's conversion is my favorite story of scripture. Um, this is Saul before he became St. Paul. That kind of ma matches my life pretty well. I'm kind of, I'm on my way. Um, uh, and, uh, and he has this encounter with the risen Jesus. He's on the road to Damascus. Um, the, the headings in the Bible will always call it the conversion of Saul. But I think it needs a different name. I think it should be Saul gains divine sight. I think that's what it should be called. Saul who persecuted the church, Saul who stood there approvingly as the first martyr Stephen was made, stoned. Proud and arrogant Saul, 
who stays, in my opinion, quite confident, almost to the point of cocky sometimes, to the very end of his life. But through this encounter with Jesus, Saul loses his old sight, and for three days he sees nothing until God sends another to him who lays hands on Saul. And with the gift of the Holy Spirit, my favorite descriptive act of the scriptures takes place. It says that something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. And I thought, and his sight was restored. And I thought, this is the story of conversion that I remember and understand. This way in which when Jesus comes to you, no matter where you're at, in my particular place, I was a 16-year-old in 1977, and everything that came before and everything that has come since has to relate in some way to this new way of seeing that God graced me with on that day. Born again, scales falling from eyes. Now, I'm a good Lutheran pastor, so I have to use the language we really love, and that language would say that we live into the promise of our baptism. That it's in this way in which we are die to an old self and rise up anew that we understand God at work in our lives. And indeed, if you heard the, um, the very next thing that happened after the scales fall from Saul's eyes, it says that he was baptized. That's the next step. When something new like that happens, Baptism is the next thing to occur. And it's, as we read the gospel lesson, it's exactly, I think, what Nicodemus should have done. He should have requested that instead of kind of engaging with Jesus in the gospel lesson and the sort of testing conversation, have you ever had those with Jesus, one of those testing conversations Jesus, well, if you can show me this, or I don't know about that. Instead of going that route, which uh, Nicodemus shows us that way, he should have gone the other way, to trust. To trust that Jesus really knows what's best for him. Trust for an opportunity to come to us. I really think that's what worship is all about, this opportunity Sunday after Sunday or whenever it is that you prefer to worship to come together and we re recommit in the presence of our brothers and sisters to this new life that we know and have experienced. As individuals, that's the point and purpose of our being here, no matter who the preacher is. And I just want to say our people, I think, understood that as Pastor Meeks was graced us with wonderful words uh, to help us to see again the opportunity of our faith in a new way to see Jesus as our leader, our lifeline, and our friend. But there's maybe a step further, something more, more than just you and me, and that is us. We are the church together, the body of Christ that has given, been charged with this proclamation of the gospel and living out our faith in a meaningful way here and now, St. John's City Church in this city taking this seriously. And it's a rich opportunity. God who saves you and me gathers us in a relationship. 
connecting us one to another. And that begs the question, what does or what should our relationship look like? And you can, you can say our relationship, city, church, you who gather really week after week, this primary way that you understand community. Or we could say, St. John's, how are we supposed to do this together? But I'm just going to challenge us to think, how do we do this as Christians? How do we be the church together? And I'm going to use an example maybe to get us started here of uh, one way that relationships can go. And if I want, I'm, I'm pulling out this legal size paper, and if Pastor Meeks has already shaken his head no over there, ignore him, okay? Because this is a sermon prop, Pastor Meeks. I said, this is not where I'm going to end up. But you know, we two churches have a relationship, and I've got it right here. This legal document. You know, that's the first good people of First English Lutheran Church. They ran the good race. They asked St. John's, can you steward this wonderful place to its next ministry use? We said yes, it was a trusting relationship that allowed that to happen. And that's when the whole story of City Church in this space took place. Holy Spirit driven, Holy Spirit led, but it could just be a document. A place like legalese where people decide, you know, that could be marriage too, by the way. That's not the greatest. A marriage license is not the beginning end of marriage. It's important. It's important, but it's not the beginning and the end of it. And so I want to say that this started out as a legal relationship, but really it didn't. Because what really happened is the people from City Church and the council from St. John's, your leaders and your elders, came and we had to make our, our board table, boardroom table, extra long. Everyone came in and we started to talk. And we realized a few things when we did this. A, we are not exactly the same. Many differences. Saint, I'm just going to talk about the obvious ones right now. St. John's coming out of the Lutheran tradition, a tradition that has stayed way too much in the Northern European tradition, we're trying to get out of that exclusive territory. By the way, if you look around California, that's not great territory to stay in exclusively, <laughs> just if you're just gonna be strategic. But it's not good for us. It's not where we wanna be, and little by little, we are starting to address that. And we found across the table a church out of the African-American tradition, but that had an equal, maybe even a greater desire for diversity that wanted not just to be a church that was only in that tradition either. We saw a kinship there. We also saw, I saw a kinship, I didn't say this out loud, in amazing leaders from both congregations. I was so impressed, not just with the pastoral leadership of this place, but the leaders, of the lay leaders of this place. And I always say that St. John's is gifted with many leaders. And then the last thing was the most important, this heart for service that we weren't going to be churches that were in it for our own survival. Survival mentality never has been great for the church. That's called a church that's going to die pretty soon. we got to have this heart that's bigger than just what we want or need. And St. John's, if there's anything that's happened at St. John's that's, that's helped it to thrive, it's that heart for our neighborhood and what's happening around us. Um, and we saw that in a great way with City Church. And so you could say that really... This was a legal arrangement, but
But what I saw and what the leaders of St. John saw, and I think the leaders of City Church saw, was an opportunity for kinship that wasn't your typical family for us. And that was a wonderful way in which we saw God at work, not only in us as individuals, but as communities. Pastor Meeks talked about it this way. I'm going to quote from your sermon last week, Pastor Meeks. You said this. Our God, who is community in essence, creates community, is worshipped in community, redeems us in community, and promises us eternal community with him. And that though our spirit and that through our spiritual transformation, we think differently because we are different, we act differently because we are different, and we love differently because we are different. Now, our traditions from which we come do not agree on every last thing. But one of the great gifts that we have discovered in each other is for us to see God's work alive in each of our communities in glorious and different ways. We find our unity, as it turns out, in Jesus Christ, who calls us to be one, and the mutual desire for our communities to follow him. And the way we do this together, again, is, I think, looking at the gospel lesson, this interaction between Nicodemus and Jesus. This new birth and community that is possible is something that if we go to our usual instinct, we will recoil at it at first. You know, we're taught to mistrust each other and fear each other. And some of that distrust and fear even becomes solidified in institutional ways that we have to repent Evils that take advantage and hold ground and hold privilege. These are things that God despises. And in my tradition, we must repent of that. I think of Nicodemus who kind of went out at night. He's trying to kind of sneak out to see Jesus. He's a little wondering if he should be ashamed of this interest. But, you know, the other thing is that the night is the beginning of the day in the Jewish tradition. So I think there was this little of sneaking out, but he also realized that this was going to be a new opportunity, something new for them. So under a cover of dark, these two are speaking. And Nicodemus is both bold and he's too paralyzed by his own fear to actually move fully forward. And Jesus' response to him is so crucial. He asks about being born again, starting over. And Nicodemus, you can start feeling him backpedal at that point. He's, he's in retreat. How can this be? And the response is that wonderful verse around which the Christian church, at least in our time, kind of finds its center. Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son so that whoever believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. It's kind of a standalone way in which we understand the church. And I think it underlies much of who we are as two congregations. Your mission statement, can you guys recite it by heart? I think you, sh you should be able to. Love God, love others. You link it together, this idea of service. 
St. John's mission, mission statement is to live God's love in the world. This idea that we don't just stay in our little fortress on 17th and L Street. Sometimes it looks like a fortress, uh, but that's not the intention. Um, and Jesus gives us at this point what's not just good news. It's great news. Uh, that we are invited into this life of salvation. Thank you so much. And that we are called to believe. Now, I have to tell you, this is a place where, weirdly, Lutherans get a little edgy. We worry about whether or not we are believing enough. Have, we, have you ever tried to go down this road? Do you, have, do you believe enough? Do you have enough faith? And always God's answer back to that, and what the, the, the Lutheran tradition really stands on, is the answer to that question is going to be no. It's no. It's the Holy Spirit who enables us to have faith. And we're never, if we're relying on ourselves, going to get it right. And so we're always having to just give ourselves away into this idea that it is God's grace that guides us if we're going to get anything right. And so we believe when it comes to trusting our own ability, there is no there there. And when it comes to God's being able to to envelop us with his love and grace, that that is where we should always be. Um, I want to kind of resolve all of this sermonizing with an idea. I know it's hot here today, and you're hanging in there. But I love the very end of this third chapter of, uh, of John, where, th- where we're, they're, they're talking about what belief looks like. And Jesus' words here, I think, are truly helpful. Jesus does not say we have to be good enough to be saved. Rather, Jesus says this. He says, do what is true. It's notable that the do-gooding life is not what Jesus is telling us to do, but we're being true to who God is with whatever flows out of our lives after we say we believe. Those who do what is true come to the light, it says so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. So what is true? What is true and what is truth? That's a little bit like Pilate, when we get to the Good Friday story about that. There's a whole lot being said in our time about how truth has become a relative term, and we as a country and a society really need to be talking about that. There's this idea called truthiness that started to develop, that really we believe what we want to believe or what we're terrified into believing. And I think Jesus is at work to teach us a different truth, what truth really is. Did you know that in English, the root of the word truth is in troth, like betrothed, you're going to become betrothed to each other, this sort of thing. Uh, It's in trust there, but the actual root of the word true and truth in English is tree, it's tree. And this wonderful way in which we think of truth as a tree, it's directional at its core. A tree reaches up to the sun, it reaches down into the rich soil, it reaches out, feeding us, bearing fruit, and it does this all at the same time. I was actually thinking about our daughter coming back, I was thinking about a children's book that, um, that was read, The Giving Tree. Have any of you read that? The tree actually 
gives itself away in the form of wood, that lumber that makes boats and furniture and stuff like that. And I think that this truth is the kind of truth that we see before Pilate, that we see in Jesus before Pilate, a willingness for Jesus in the face of examination. He could have answered in any way to save his life, but instead Jesus allows himself to be lifted up on a tree. He allows himself to be nailed down on a tree. And while bearing all of this fruit for us through his sacrifice, Jesus does ultimately what is most true. And now forevermore, I'm going to think of true like a carpenter thinks of true. You know a carpenter who looks down a board and says, I can build with this. This answers Nicodemus's question of how to make it through another birth opening. It answers our questions too, how the scales can fall from our eyes. How do we enter the kingdom? How do we come to eternal life? How do we know what the life forward is going to be and how we can trust it? To believe, we have to look of the line of the board that lifted Jesus up. If God can work through that tree, we can trust God can work through us too. Amazingly, it is the tree of the cross where true finds new meaning. For just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Luther, Martin Luther, 500 years ago, when asked what he would do if he knew that the world was going to end tomorrow, you know what he said he would do? He said this, I would plant a tree. Brothers and sisters, I think of this initial piece of paper as our relationship between us, I think of that as just a seed that has been planted in the ground. Now God is at work doing an amazing new thing between us. We've planted something and we are watering it and we know God will bring something good from this relationship. Pastor Meeks, I see significant opportunity for our people of St. John's. If you will have us in relationship, we know we will benefit as Christians, brothers and sisters, to grow in grace and to grow in love and grow in understandings that we need so that we can be more responsive to God's word and to understand who we are as the people of God there. Thank you for your words last week in worship. And I believe we will understand what it means to be true to Christ if we are able to have each other in friendship as we lead in the city, as we share a mission of, proclamation, of the proclamation of the gospel and loving those, especially the most difficult to love. Our different experiences can strengthen us for the work Christ calls us to. So in conclusion, and I hope I've gone somewhere near 30 minutes. My people didn't think I could preach for 30 minutes. <laughs> a Lutheran pastor usually goes for about 12, and on a hot day like that, that may have been enough today. <laughs> but let me just say this, that I hope we can trust ever more deeply in Jesus' present tense promise of true and eternal life. And every once in a while, I think of that as eternity. 
God bless you, City Church. God bless you for your witness. You are becoming dear friends to us. Uh, may God be with you in every way, in everything you do, especially as you leave this place into the life God gives and grants. Amen. Thank you.